Hey guys, Skeletoni here. Just had a quick announcement before we start this week's episode. Next week, we're going to have a special Thanksgiving episode where we're going to be reviewing the movie Thanksgiving. So keep an ear out for it next Wednesday. Alright, now on to the show. again on the Grave Plot Podcast, now available on Stitcher Radio and iTunes. I'm your host, Skeletoni. And I am Taylor of Terror. Uh, so how's it going? Pretty good. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, to start things off here, I actually have a surprise for you. What's that? Uh, you know how last episode we reviewed Maniac? Yes. Well, our good friend Buffer watched it and he sent in his input. Oh, so I wanted to read that for you. Well, all right. So he says, So I want to preface this by saying I did enjoy this movie. I had seen the original way back in the day, but I thought this was a good reprisal. With that being said, I completely understand Tony's complaints when it comes to the first-person aspect. I thought cinematography-wise it was actually very well done, besides all those damn mirrors everywhere Frank went. However, this only held my attention if I muted the TV. To me, what can make or break a fantastic horror movie is human interaction. We already are forced to suspend reality to believe there's a homicidal maniac wearing a ski mask stalking victims, or a burned-up murderer haunting teens' dreams. It's difficult to suspend belief in what should be a normal conversation between two human beings. The vocal interactions between Frank and the rest of the world were so unbelievably unnatural, and I really don't think it was because of the script. Elijah Wood was pretty much forced to have a conversation inside of a studio with nobody. Was he ever really there on set at all besides, (coughs) excuse me, besides when his reflection would pop up? There was absolutely no natural human interaction in the film, and it really took away from what I thought was a very well-shot first-person perspective. I think they had the right idea, but the execution was far from well done. So he kind of had mixed thoughts from what we thought. Mm -hmm. I liked the first-person perspective. You didn't. He seemed to like it, in theory, Mm -hmm. but didn't like the execution. Yeah, it kind of seems like he may have uh, liked the artistic aspect of it, but as far as, like you said, like as a cinematic practice it was just impractical right um to you know answer what he was uh what he was talking about i actually did look into it elijah wood was actually on set like i like 98 percent of the time oh yeah yeah because you know obviously every shot was supposed to be from his perspective so he had to be there at all times and actually read in he in an interview he said that actually became a Really difficult for him, just um, scheduling wise. Oh, so uh, Buffer continues. I was able to figure out that the movie took place in Los Angeles, as in the subway scene, a man is reading the Los Angeles Reviewer. Remember, we had kind of talked about there was it was weird because there was French signs on some of the buildings. Yeah, yeah, yeah. With the architecture, we thought maybe it was L.A. or New York. I guess he showed it was L.A. Mm-hmm. He says, apparently in L.A., you can murder guests wherever you would like. <laughs> no one hears screams. There are never police around, etc. 
Actually, as I reread my last paragraph, I realize this is pretty true to life, so no complaints on that end. <laughs> as someone who lived in L.A., would you concur? Uh, certain parts of it, yeah. Uh, there's... You know, I think the LAPD has got to be one of the largest police forces in the, in the country, if not the world. And there's just never a cop around the <laughs> one. Uh, he goes on, was I the only one a little confused about the Brillo pads? Is he fresh out of sponges? <laughs> I had forgotten about this, but he, he always washed his hands with, like, steel wool. Yeah, yeah. Which just seems like it would feel horrible. Well, obviously. Especially since his hands were already all cut up. Yeah, I, I, that was probably why they were cut up in the first place, uh... I think that may have just been a psychological thing. He just like he he had to be clean, and maybe the steel wool was his best kind of OCD. option. Yeah, yeah. Uh, he says, "Does Elijah Wood take roles anymore where he is not constantly seeing things? We have Maniac, Wilford, and the Lord of the Rings movies. Eight foot <laughs> wizards, my ass. <laughs> a huge high point for me, as it was to you gentlemen as well, was the gore. I didn't find anything gratuitous, just cringingly lifelike. It was one aspect with a first person presentation added to the overall feature." It's hard to make me turn away in disgust, but I have to admit it had me close at a few points. And that was something we discussed, too, was the, the scalping. It's just how brutal they were. Yeah, and we also just, like, the first person made it so it could, couldn't could be any further away than arm's length. Yeah, it was always just right in your face. Mm -hmm. uh, he concludes, all in all, I didn't dislike the film as much as Tony did, but I don't think I enjoyed it as much as Taylor did either. I'm going to be an ass and just go right in the middle of their rating and give it a 6.5. All right. And then he has a PS. says, although not specifically horror movies, I would love to hear some f future reviews of some classic psychological thrillers such as Seven, etc. I think there are a ton of fantastic psychological films out there that may not be defined as horror, but can have the same effect on a viewer. Thanks, guys. All right. Well, thanks, Buffer. I really, very, we really appreciate that. Some uh, some fan interaction. <laughs> yeah. And uh, I mean, I don't. It's like Seven. I I love the movie Seven. Yeah. And he like he said, it's not technically horror, but it does have a lot of aspects. Mm -hmm. that could also be found in horror movies. I wouldn't mind doing a review of Seven in the future. Yeah, and I actually, um, I believe it was uh, Corey on the electric chair, uh, or maybe it was one of his guests. I'm pretty sure it was on electric chair, though. He actually uh, discussed how horror doesn't necessarily mean, you know, some psychotic killer stalking you through the woods. It can be something psychological and just something that uh, kind of invokes like a primal fear in you, just something, um, just something terrifying. It doesn't have to be, you know, what nowadays might be qualified as horror. So, uh, yeah, I think that's something we could definitely, uh, look into and in just a, a kind of a different realm we could explore a little bit. Yeah. And I actually, I posted a question on various social networks this morning of what's your favorite horror subgenre. Mm -hmm. And I got a few responses from people that said psychological. Yeah. So, I mean, it's obviously, it's, you know, a lot of people enjoy mm -hmm. that. And I got some, you know, I got some smart-ass responses. Sure. <laughs> um, namely, my girlfriend. <laughs> um, but I noticed the most common answer was supernatural or paranormal. Mm -hmm. Which I found interesting, but when you think about it, it's, that's kind of what's out there right now. Like, paranormal activity has the marked ones coming out this year. Or early next year, and then PA five comes out next Halloween. Yeah, or like The Conjuring. Mm -hmm. That's kind of what's what's most prevalent at the moment. Yeah, I mean, obviously, it's a uh, hot market. Um, like, even though, like we discussed this before, paranormal activity has kind of run its course. I think we both agreed on that. Yeah, but people are still seeing the movies, 
So obviously it's still really popular. And I mean, truth be told, uh, ghost stories never really did it for me. Um, but you know, if, if like, like Buffer said here, you'd, you'd love to hear something, or no, I guess it wasn't Buffer that said it, but, um, you know, if, if that's kind of a fan favorite, then yeah, I mean, those are things we can definitely look at. And, you know, w- one answer that I didn't get at all that I was surprised was no one said zombies. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, I, th- <laughs> I think we, um, I think we both might be kind of on the same bandwagon where zombies are kind of getting overdone a little bit. Yeah. I mean, I, I think the kind of the, uh, the breaking point for me was World War Z. Yeah, definitely. Um, I mean, neither of us saw it. You know, we couldn't see our way clear of spending money on it. So, um, but just, I mean, the whole, uh, zombie pyramid thing in the trailers and stuff. It was like zombie parkour. Yeah. It's like, okay, this has gotten out of control. Um, but especially since that strayed so far from the source material. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I mean, for anybody that hasn't read the book, it's a, um, it's basically a reporter that goes around to different people that were involved in this war against the dead. Uh, and as opposed to him being this reporter being an active character in the story, he it, it's a retrospective. It's you know that retelling of the war through the uh, experiences of these people that went through it. Uh, so obviously the movie was nothing like that. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean to do a movie that way, it would basically have to be like a mockumentary. You know, yeah, in a way. Um, Which actually I think would be pretty damn entertaining. Yeah, I mean, we had kind of like um, the Zombie Diaries, which is kind of like that a little bit. Yeah, and Diary of the Dead, too, was kind of, like it was a mixture of found footage and uh, cinematic. Right. Um, And obviously... uh, you know, Zombie Diaries obviously did well enough to warrant a sequel. I don't think either of us really cared for it, but um, Diary of the Dead wasn't too bad. I think it was kind of uh, um, Romero's last decent movie. Um, but anyway, so yeah, thanks, Buffer. Thanks a lot for the contribution. Uh, um, hope to hear from, from more of you. Um, yeah, thanks to everybody who responded to the, the question on Social networks, too. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I mean, always hit us up on Facebook, uh, Google+, Twitter, um, on our website, anywhere. Uh, just Our website is graveplotpodcast.com. Know the, just graveplotpodcast.com. And, uh, you know, give us some ideas. Uh, tell us our, your thoughts on the show. On you know, Send us a review if you want. I think what we should start doing in the future is putting what we're going to review up sooner. Mm-hmm. So then people can send in their thoughts on it. So as we review it, we can also put in fan input. Yeah, we could do that. Um, all right. Well, I think we're going to move along here and head into our new section. Reports, incredible as they seem, are not the results of mass hysteria. First eyewitness accounts of this grisly development came from people who were understandably frightened and almost incoherent. Officials and newsmen at first discounted there was eyewitness descriptions as being beyond belief. However, the 
reports persisted. Medical examinations of some of the victims bore out the fact that they had been partially devoured. All right, to start things off, we're gonna, uh, a few weeks back we talked about uh, the Extinction Parade, which is a uh, new comic book series by Max Brooks, who did um, Zombie uh, Survival Guide and World War Z, um, and it, it's uh, it's a story about the zombie apocalypse taken from the, the perspective of uh, a couple of uh, vampires, and Basically, they kind of celebrated it first. It's like, all right, well, the, you know, the uh, human population's being wiped out. We rule the world now. But then soon after, they start to realize, okay, well, our food's disappearing. Um, so maybe we should do something about that. And so it just kind of covers this, this war against, um, or war between vampires and zombies. Uh, the new news regarding that um, is apparently it's being marketed to... Um, Make a TV series all already. <laughs> um, it's uh, this I mean, is at least at least this is actually out. Unlike the the new Robert Kirkman that we talked about, that's not even out yet and is already being optioned as a TV show. Right. Yeah. I mean, I still think this is a little ridiculous. I mean, this. I think Extinction Parade is maybe like three, four, maybe five issues deep, and they're already talking about making a TV series. Um, Tells you what name recognition can do. No kidding. Uh, this was originally reported by Bleeding Cool, uh, which is actually the, or it, it's under the same publishing company as the one that's publishing the comic book series. Oh. So I guess they kind of had some firsthand knowledge a little bit. Um, so yeah, there's uh, no real solid news on it yet, but it's uh, being quoted as currently in the process of being signed as a TV series for one of the most successful production companies in Hollywood. Um, Hopefully that's not plan B. <laughs> um, there's some speculation that it might be uh, one of the premium cable channels like HBO, um, maybe Showtime. You know, Showtime just ended... Uh, uh, Dexter, so maybe oh, they yeah. might be shopping around for a new kind of flagship show. Um, I think a show like this would probably be best on a premium cable just because there's definitely going to be a high level of blood and guts in it. Yeah. Uh, I mean, they're, they're, if they make it family-friendly, like, I don't want to say Walking Dead is family-friendly, but... Being on a, a basic cable channel like AMC, it kind of cuts the legs out from under it a little bit. Um, as far yeah, as but I remember when when Walking Dead first started, Greg Nicotero had said that AMC was really good about not censoring them and just telling them, you know, no F-bombs. Other than that, we're fine. Mm-hmm. And, you know, as far as we can tell as viewers, they've kind of kept to that, I think. Yeah, I mean, the, the zombie kill scenes have been... There have been some that are just... Right up there, along the lines of you know, movie quality. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, uh, like I said, there's no real uh, in-depth or solid information available about this yet. But uh, if anything big comes around, uh, we'll keep you all posted on it. All right, next story is uh, we've got a new movie from um, 
the director of Pontypool is uh, Bruce McDonald. Uh, he's working on a movie called Hellion, excuse me. Um, and again, this is something that doesn't have a whole lot of information available about it yet. It's all about Crispin Glover, right? <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> his middle name is Hellion. Right. Um, it, like the most in-depth plot summary I could find was that a pregnant teen must survive a Halloween night from hell when three malevolent trick-or-treaters come knocking. So, um, that's it. Yeah. That, that, that is the most specific information I can find about this movie. Uh, we've got, uh, an actress called, uh, Chloe Rose as the main character, Dora, Dora who, uh, I'm, I'm assuming is the pregnant teen. Um, I had never heard of this girl before. You hadn't either. Mm-mm. Um, so. You know, uh, we got the Bruce McDonald, like I said, who is most famous for um, Pontypool. Uh, and Pontypool is one of those movies I didn't really like at first. But then once I kind of reviewed it back in my head, it was a little better. Maybe maybe it's just the concept, I guess. Is that the one where uh, like there was like a sentence that turned people into zombies or something? Like something? Basically, they discover that it seems to be just the English language. Certain words have been infected. Right. Um, which I thought was an intriguing idea, that, that verbal words could be infected with some kind of virus. Mm-hmm. Um, and it takes place almost entirely inside this uh, radio station. And um, you kind of just see... Uh, you, you get mostly an audio experience um that the whole this whole town of Pontypool is becoming totally infected and it seems like different words will infect different people so um conceptually very um original idea um like i said when i when i first watched the movie i didn't really care for it a whole lot but um after i kind of reviewed it in my head afterwards it it had some merits to it um, but, uh, uh, again, not a whole lot of news on this yet, but, uh, I wanted to point it out to you cause it's, it sounded interesting. I definitely like the idea, like there, there needs to be more movies that are set on Halloween. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we've got, I think we may have touched on this on the Halloween episode, but there's a lack of new Halloween themed movies. Right. Uh, I mean, we've got classics like obviously Halloween mm-hmm. um, and you know other horror movies that are just kind of become associated with Halloween but just true Halloween movies are kind of uh, limited yeah so this will be good to you know pair up with movies like trick-or-treat um, or uh, trick-or-treat 2 when it comes out yeah <laughs> Uh, just kind of an obligatory new... trick-or-treat to reference. Right. <laughs> uh, apparently we must have one every episode. <laughs> uh, so just, uh, you know, if, if this sounds as, as brief as this description may have been, if it sounds interesting to you all, we've got uh, facebook.com slash Hellions movie. Um, that seems to be the, the best source of information about this film so far. Well, if he didn't tell you about the house, then he certainly didn't tell you about Alice. 
All right, so the next movie we want to talk about uh, is a movie called Alice D. Um, this is starring Kane Hodder, uh, who we talked about last episode as being in a movie called Muck coming out. But in that, he looks like he's just kind of like the, the monster, the, you know, the, the costume killer. Right. That one. Um, but in this, it looks like he has just kind of a, a standard, you know, human role. Um but uh, it, it doesn't look like his role in the movie is going to be too heavy. It looks like he might have some influence on the on the backstory. But as far as time that he's in the movie, it kind of looks like it's going to be very minor. Um, also starring in the movie is probably wrestling fans out there. We're going to have uh, the ever popular Al Snow. What does everybody want? Head. <laughs> I miss when wrestling was inappropriate. Yeah, the good old days. Anyway, it looks like kind of looks like both of these guys. They'll, they'll be pretty important as far as this backstory goes, but it doesn't look like they're going to have a very prominent role in the film itself. Wait, Al Snow isn't a central character? <laughs> Go figure, right? <laughs> um, but it, it kind of looks like the plot of this movie is uh, in the 1890s, there's this... Uh, brothel called the Davenport House. Um, and uh, there's this young prostitute in the house. And it, it kind of looks like, from what I can gather from the trailer, uh, Kane Hodder and Al Snow might be like kind of uh, you know, the, the, the owners of this brothel. Oh, I, I'm kind of guessing from that. That's, that's who they are. Anyway, this uh, young prostitute, she, I guess she just kind of had enough of the life that she couldn't seem to escape and uh, killed herself. Um, after she had killed herself, this house actually became haunted with her spirit. Um, and she just kind of became a really malevolent ghost. Um, and uh, eventually it, the house was abandoned. Uh, you know, they, they closed up shop and, you know, this house kind of fell into obscurity. Um, about a century later, bring us to modern time. Um, the house gets completely renovated, uh, you know, turned back into just this gorgeous mansion. Um, but there's still this rumor around that Alice still haunts the, the, the hallways of this house. Um, but, the, the new owner of this house he looks like he's just this really rich, arrogant dickhead. Um, he seems to be, from what I read, he seems to be like the uh, the actual um, heir to to the Davenport fortune, as it were. Um, so I guess the original owners of the house, uh, just the family, kind of tracked down, and now it's down to this kid who obviously is a real dick, has more money than he should, and um, inherits this house. Uh, and despite very strong warnings from, I'm sure, different people or maybe one prominent character, uh, he decides he's going to have just this big rager party. Um, he brings in, you know, his friends and some, some hookers. and Cake and ice cream. Right. Probably a magician. Yeah, you know, party essentials. Um, and he yeah, just throws this big rager party um, to kind of celebrate moving in. And obviously, 
um, some pretty gruesome things ensue. Um, so it sounds like it's it's basically boils down to a cookie cutter haunting film. Essentially, yeah, just kind of a different uh, different setting. A little bit, yeah. I mean, obviously the uh, the whole um, brothel and, and the, you know the prostitute kind of aspect of it is something a little different. Um, but uh, I don't know. It, it, it sounded like it could be interesting, uh, and you know, it's got Kane Otter in it and and Al Snow. So yeah, Al Snow doesn't make bad movies. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but you know, I, I love those guys, so you got to give them a chance. Sure, yeah. I mean... Is this straight to DVD or straight uh, to FearNet or... You know, I don't know. I think at this point they're... I, I think they're, they still might be filming. Um, I'm not entirely sure. But, uh, you know, I, I couldn't find a whole lot of information about it beyond what we've uh, what we stated. But it looks like it could be at least halfway decent. Might be worth, uh, you know, if nothing else, just a, a rental. Yeah, we'll keep an eye out for it. Yeah, I, I don't see this coming out to a wide release, but, you know, we'll, we'll keep on, keep our eyes on it and, uh, keep you guys posted. But if you guys want to check out, uh, check it out, uh, on your own, uh, just go to Alice D, the letter D, movie.com. It's not like Alice D movie. <laughs> right. Next, uh, we're going to talk about uh, something that actually got me a little excited. Was um, uh, did it make your nipples hard? Yeah, God, cut glass. <laughs> um, anyway, so what we're looking at right here is another Stephen King ad- adaptation on uh, his book Cell. Um, if you don't know who Stephen King is, turn off the podcast and go play in traffic. Yeah, because uh, he has a nickname King for for a reason, and if you don't know who he is, then You've you've missed the entire point of horror. You failed at life. Yes. Uh, so yeah, this is an adaptation of Cell, which I believe came out in two thousand six. I want to say, um, and this is like I I love Stephen King, but I've only managed to get through a handful of his books uh, just through you know random circumstances. But this is one that I had a hard time putting putting down. Um, it's uh basically the concept of it is uh, in Boston there's this uh, guy Clay he is kind of witness to this um, broadcast to cell phones um, it just basically everybody that receives this tone or you know this, this pulse basically um, through their cell phones gets turned into like this essentially a zombie like creature Um and this guy Clay, he is separated from his son and uh, wife, who are s- still in, um, I believe it's Maine. I mean, it, it must be Maine if it's Stephen King. But um, <laughs> his, so he's in the struggle to get to Maine um, to kind of reunite with his his wife and son. Um, and he he meets up with uh, another guy who. Uh, kind of helps him through, and, uh, yeah, so it's just kind of a story about him trying to get through this, for all intents and purposes, kind of a, a zombie apocalypse, 
by the, the concept of the zombies being created via cell phone, uh, that's something I thought was just awesome. It's, uh, it's kind of, I mean, it, it makes me think of one missed call. A little bit. Um, I think this book actually came out before that movie. Um, but, uh, this, yeah, this, I, I loved this book. And so when I found out they were making an adaptation of it, I got pretty excited. Um, and, uh, it, it looks like, uh, we've got Todd Williams who directed Paranormal Activity 2, which wasn't the best Paranormal Activity, but it wasn't the worst either. Um, is, you know, decent, I suppose. He's kind of being attached to direct. Uh, there's no confirmed reports about that yet, but, um, he, uh, yeah, he, he kind of seems like he might be the front runner to direct. Um, uh, and it's funny, back in 2006, when, like, shortly after the book came out, it was already being optioned for a film. And actually, originally, uh, Eli Roth was attached to direct. For several years, um, until he kind of progressively showed some dwindled interest, and eventually just came to a point where he said, "I'm not involved anymore." But Eli Roth and Stephen King, I could get behind that pairing. Mm-hmm, definitely. Uh, now it looks like uh, Stephen King is actually working on the script with uh, Adam Aleka, uh, who wrote um, Last House on the Left, which wasn't terrible. I don't think. I think. I think maybe. I think the weak point of that movie was the acting and just the direction. But as far as the script, I don't think it was too bad. I mean, it was a remake. But yeah, you can only do so much with that. But uh, the fact that Stephen King is working on it, I, I really like that. So you know, he's he's gonna do his best to stick true to his own work. Sure. Yeah. Um, and kind of, I think maybe the biggest news about this is that. Uh, we've got John Cusack in the, in the lead role as Clay. And I, I really like John Cusack. I mean, I, I have since, since his roles in the 80s. Um, yeah, and I mean, like, identity showed that he can play, you know, he can, he can do... Identity wasn't necessarily a horror, but he can do, you know, intense thriller-type stuff. Mm-hmm. Well, also, um, just a little more recent news was that uh, Samuel L. Jackson... Uh, has actually been cast as his kind of companion on his on his journey. That's not news. I could have guessed that. <laughs> yeah, he's in everything. But this is kind of cool because they actually worked together on another Stephen King adaptation, 1408. Oh, that's right. Yeah, and they did really well together, I think. I mean, they didn't have a ton of one-on-one roles, or, you know, one-on-one scenes, I guess, in the movie. But um, just their interaction together was really good. And, um, you know, they both kind of show that they could play just these really kind of a little little twisted, a little victimized kind of characters. Um, so that was really good. Uh, um, and so it, it's just exciting to see them together again in another Stephen King adaptation. Um as far as we know right now, uh, it's aiming to start shooting in 2014 at some point. Uh, it's still a little early on. Again, uh, as more news develops, we'll keep you up to date with it and uh, let you know how it's coming along. So 
So one more bit of news is uh, the movie from Dust Till Dawn, the Robert Rodriguez movie, mm-hmm. is being adapted into a television show. It's going to be on Rodriguez's own network called El Rey Network, which is launching uh, next month, December. Um, if you remember, El Rey was the name of the town they were trying to get to in From Dust Till Dawn. Right. And that was also <laughs> the name of a character in uh, Planet Terror. That's right. Yeah. Uh, there's going to be 10 episodes in the first season. Uh, it's being billed as a supernatural crime saga. And Robert Rodriguez is signed on as an executive producer, and he's going to direct the first two episodes. Uh, Quentin Tarantino, who, you know, was heavily involved in the movie, is not involved. Uh-huh. Uh, Seth Gecko, who was played by George Clooney in the movie, the main character, is going to be played by an actor named DJ Catrona, who I'm not really familiar with. I never heard of him. Um, so I don't know if El Rey Network is going to be a premium channel or what, or you know what kind of leeway they're going to have as far as because the the movie is filled with gore and nudity and swearing. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, it's it's a supernatural crime saga, as, as you put it. Um, so I guess it doesn't necessarily have to um, be vampires necessarily. I guess. Yeah. Um, so maybe it doesn't necessarily need to take place at the titty twister. <laughs> oh man, I wonder if Cheech Marin will have any that cameos. Awesome. <laughs> you know, they, uh, him and Rodriguez are buddies, so. Wouldn't but, mind seeing, uh, Tom Savini and his, yeah. his gun cod piece make an appearance. <laughs> yeah. Um, it does worry me a little bit as far as the quality of this because of the fact that, uh, Rodriguez is putting this on his own network that, he just created. <laughs> um, I I don't. I mean, I don't think it can do any more damage to the movie than the sequel and prequel did. Fair enough. Uh, those were pretty bad. <laughs> I mean, you know, the sequel had Robert Patrick in it, and I, I love that guy, but he just did not help the movie. <laughs> uh, and Hangman's daughter sucked. <laughs> but okay. Well, yeah, like uh, like everything else, uh, as news develops, we'll keep you posted on that. Live or die. Make your choice. So, going from news into some rumors now. Um, first off, Lionsgate is apparently, quote-unquote, actively developing Saw 8. Huh. Collective groan. Um, there's no script and no director, no anything yet, except for you know, a bug in somebody's ear, but uh, it's, they're saying it could be a remake, if not a sequel, because, you know, a franchise that's less than 10 years old really needs to be remade. This is, I mean, as you're talking about this, it's making me cringe. This is bad idea genes all over it. Yeah. Uh, And, like, from what I've heard about this is that, like you said, it, it could potentially be a remake or even a reboot. And something I actually read was not a reboot in the typical sense, but more that it's kind of starting from scratch with a new Jigsaw. Kind of somebody taking the Jigsaw persona. Yeah, I know that doesn't help. Um, either way, it's, it's fucking stupid. It, it kind of seems like they're not really in any kind of hurry to do anything with this. Which is good. Yeah. I mean, apparently they thought, oh, people are all burned out on the Saw franchise, we'll just wait three years and then give them a new one. That'll <laughs> energize it. 
Um, yeah, I don't, I don't know what they're thinking. I mean, well, I know what they're thinking. They're thinking they want to cash in on something that's made them a lot of money in the past, but. I don't know how many people would see it, though. I think most people would have the same reaction we would. They would see a trailer and go, you're fucking kidding me. Yeah. Yeah, probably. Um, I mean, not to toot our horns, but I kind of think we're a little more intelligent movie viewers than a lot of people. We're a little uh, more critical, if nothing else. Yeah. Uh, so, I don't know. We, we can see something like this and be like, that's fucking stupid. That whole thing is so tired, just let it die. But then there's going to be a lot of people that say, oh my god, another Saw movie! Yeah. I don't care how bad the last few were. Um, yeah, like, like I said, the, it uh, kind of looks like they're not really in any kind of hurry to do anything with this. I think they're waiting for that golden script or something. Yeah. <laughs> uh, fucking stupid. And another rumor that's out there about a sequel, speaking of years in between sequels, is Beetlejuice 2. Yeah. <laughs> um, it was confirmed by, of all people, Michael Keaton. Awesome. Who played Beetlejuice. Uh, Tim Burton <laughs> is in talks to direct. Uh-huh. Which, I mean, I there's no way it could be anybody else. Oh, no. I mean, how, how could you even consider that? Who else could do it, you know? No. Yeah. Uh, the script is being written, as we speak, by Seth Graham Smith who co-wrote Dark Shadows, mm. and uh, I think was involved with Abraham Lincoln Vampire Hunter. Oh, okay. I think he, he wrote or co-wrote that, too. And um, they're saying it's not going to be a remake, not a reboot, but it's it's going to be a sequel. Good, good. That's uh, that's something I was pretty concerned about, that it was going to be uh, a remake. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> and it, it bothered me all the more, the fact that they were going to do a remake... And it, it, at that point, it already sounded like Michael Keaton was going to play Beetlejuice, which is cool. I mean, I, I don't want anybody else to play Beetlejuice. I don't think anybody could play Beetlejuice. But the fact that they're going to do a remake with the same actor, we kind of just talked about this with uh, Hellraiser right. the other the other week. Um, so the fact that it's going to be Tim Burton and Michael Keaton, uh, I mean, that's, that's, that's perfect. Yeah. <laughs> I'm excited for that. Yeah. First you want to kill me. Now you want to kiss me. Blow. So one last thing. Um, another bit of sequel news. Last episode, we were very excited about Army of Darkness 2. Mm-hmm. Which we said had been confirmed, but now Bruce Campbell is saying, no, it's not. Um, according to Bruce, it's all internet BS. There's no reality whatsoever. These random comments slip out of my mouth or Sam Raimi's mouth. Next thing you know, we're making a sequel. But he also said that Sam Raimi was writing the script and that Sam Raimi is known for having an idea and never following through. But once he starts writing, that means it's happening. I I love Bruce. He's one of my favorite actors. But... I'm just not going to fucking listen to him anymore. He's a pain in the ass. He really is. Yeah, he's irritating the shit out of me. It's almost at every opportunity. Uh, he just he keeps bouncing back and forth, and I know 
I know it's probably because every time he makes an appearance, every time he does an interview, whatever, at least one person's asking about Evil Dead or Army of Darkness. And so he probably just got into this position where he just likes fucking with people. I wouldn't doubt that at all. Yeah. And, you know, actually a lot of this news was revealed uh, here in town, in, in Seattle. Like he did a couple on the radio, yeah. Yeah, he did a couple of interviews on a, on a couple of different radio stations, and um, was talking about this. <laughs> and uh, I didn't catch it when it was live, but I, I listened to it later on the same day. And I'm just like, God damn you! <laughs> I mean, to his credit, he is right that we jumped the gun a little bit, saying that it's confirmed. Uh-huh. We haven't heard anything from the studio yet, right? So, but it. I mean, it still sounds like it's happening. There was a tweet from Fede Alvarez. Somebody asked him, will you be directing the Army of Darkness 2 movie? And his response was, Sam Raimi will. Mm-hmm. Not Sam Raimi would, or, you know, if it happens, then Sam Raimi would. It's Sam Raimi will. He says will. Mm-hmm. The definitive. Yeah. And I I applaud him for being a lot more direct than anyone else. I mean, obviously, uh, Bruce is dicking us around. Uh, Raimi, it, I don't think he said anything. No, he's just kind of sitting in the shadows. Yeah, which is kind of his style. A yeah. But, um, and when he does talk, he's, he's a lot like Bruce. He just keeps fucking us around a lot. Um, so, I don't know. Like, I think when we first talked about this, I just said, you know, I'm fucking done. When I hear that the movie is in production, then I'll believe it. Until then, I'm just going to keep my... I'm not going to pretend this exists. It's we're, I'm going to put it in the same status that we put Evil Dead 2, the remake. It will happen unless it doesn't. <laughs> so, that's it for news. Uh, on to reviews? Let's do it. All right, so as we talked about last episode, we uh, started this new thing where we each pick a movie, and we don't discuss them before we start recording this, uh, so all of our opinions and uh, and all that news is uh, nice and fresh. So, um, to start off with, my movie was Six Degrees of Hell. We all make our own hell, Chief. It absorbs evil. All I need to know from you right now is what happened. June says she's seen Kelly. Kelly's dead, Chris. There's only six degrees of separation from hell, Eric. And June's the sixth. It's coming. Jack's got to shut this place down now. And I'm going to delay opening night. She's still out there on the road. Stop! Stop! Ah! 
possessed. Okay, so I'm going to do my best to explain this movie. Yeah. <laughs> Good fucking luck. <clears throat> there is this girl who has psychic abilities. She's kind of an empath. Um, and f- for some reason, she's tied to this demon that seems to reside in this vase that seems to have changed hands over time. Is it one demon, or is it many demons? I get the impression it's one demon, because it, it constantly, like every time she encounters a new person that's possessed, there's it's like that person's carrying on the same conversation. Oh, okay. So I have to assume it's just it's the same demon. Um... So but it, it seems like at parts that there's multiple people possessed at once. Well, yeah, I think just probably the same entity was possessing all these people, which is weird because yeah. it seems like typically when there's a possession, it's usually like separate entities possessing different right. people. But, um, and then kind of on another string of the story, there is a kind of a paranormal like investigator kind of like he kind of operates this ghost hunter show mm-hmm. and his sister was killed and he thinks that this might be the same entity that killed his sister um i don't know am i staying on track here <laughs> um more or less I, and there's this kind of wraparound story. It seems like the, the main movie is being told from the perspective of this cop. And it's being told to who else but Corey Feldman. <laughs> the worst fucking haircut I've ever seen in my life. Oh, yeah. He's got this uh, platinum blonde hair with this one... It's like spiked up. Yeah. But then there's this long strand of black hair that comes across his face, and it just like it's wet against his face and mm-hmm. curves around the bottom of his mouth. Yeah, it almost looks like he's trying to uh, capture the spirit of uh, you know, Davy Havoc or something. Yeah, and uh, he's smoking an e-cigarette the entire movie. Yeah, he's he's just pulling on this thing, and I, I've smoked an e-cigarette before. It's just vapor, but you can't just pull on this thing all the time. <laughs> You will die. And he gets a lot of smoke from it. Yeah, that was another <laughs> thing. I actually got that in my notes. There's way too much fucking smoke from this electronic cigarette. But, so, anyway, um, it all kind of takes, well, a lot of it takes place in this haunted house. It's actually a renovated hotel, which was a renovated psychological or you know a psych ward mm-hmm. uh fuck and it's having such a hard time explaining this because it didn't make trust me if the people are uh listening are confused then they're right along with us when we were watching it i'm sure yeah i, I had to rethink the entire movie at the end to try and understand what the hell i had just watched <laughs> <laughs> um to interject here the the Hotel of Horror, it's called, is actually a real haunted attraction mm-hmm. in Sailorsburg, Pennsylvania. Um, and the people in the movie 
who are playing the actors in the haunted house are actually the actors in the real life haunted house. Right, right. And I actually pulled up the uh, website for this haunted house, um, which I believe is just hotelofhorror.com, I, I think. Yeah, I believe um, so. And uh, I don't know what went wrong with this movie, but the haunted house actually looks pretty cool. <laughs> Oh yeah, well, I mean, you know, uh, I, the the scenes of them acting in the haunted house made the haunted house look cool. Uh huh. Um, it was just the rest of the movie that. Yeah. So. <sighs> apparently, the the real life haunted house has a reputation for strange and unexplained phenomena because there was um, a number of suicides there in the twenties and thirties. Hmm. Um. Yeah. So I mean. If you're going to film a movie that takes place in a haunted house, you know, what better place than an actual haunted house? Yeah. Um, so that part was cool. I really liked that. Um, but like I said, the actual haunted house itself, you know, they have a few videos, a few pictures and stuff on their website. And like I said, I don't know what's wrong with this movie, but the haunted house looks cool. And this movie just really dropped the ball. <laughs> And, you know, let me, like, I think I actually first heard of this movie. Um, I think it was maybe somebody that our, the, the Grave Plot Twitter, uh, follows on Twitter. Or, you know, one, one of, uh, the people that we follow, mm-hmm. um, had posted something about this. Or, you know, it posted the trailer for this movie. And I watched the trailer and it looked really cool. It looked like it may have been, you know, obviously a, a possession movie. Um, you know, a lot of, like, maybe demons or spirits, and it kind of looked like it may have had a little bit of, like, a zombie action in it a little bit. And I thought, you know, okay, it's Corey Feldman, but at least it's got somebody with some, a little bit of star power in it, so it can't be that bad. And I was wrong. <laughs> I mean, we're, we're horror snobs, but we're not above watching a B movie and saying, you know, this was really well done. Yeah. And that's, that's, like, I didn't, but this movie was not well done. <laughs> right. And like, you know, well, like you said, it's, it's kind of at least my personal goal. Uh, you know, I'm sure Taylor's in the same boat here with me, but, uh, it's kind of a goal of mine that I don't want to just cover Studio movies because a lot of people have seen those already. I right. want to cover a little, you know, a little more independent movies at least once in a while, just to kind of give some exposure to movies that might otherwise not get that exposure. And that just really bit me in the ass <laughs> with this one. Uh, I don't know if you noticed, but the entire movie is available on IMDb. I didn't notice that. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Okay. Uh, I mean, like, this movie is directed by Joe Rafa, who also plays one of the lead characters, and that doesn't speak very highly of a movie pretty much ever. Um, it, Unless know, it's Jay Chandrasekhar. What? Unless it's Jay, Sandra, Jay Chandrasekhar. Right. Or, you know, maybe, to a lesser extent, Kevin Smith. Or Quentin Tarantino. Huh? Or Quentin Tarantino. Right. But he's kind of a hack actor. Yeah. But movies he's in are typically good. That's but the roles he plays are usually campy that he's supposed to be. Yeah. Anyway, uh, so this movie was just a jumbled mess. Uh, the plot was extremely unfocused. It kind of looked like maybe. It kind of looked like maybe the script kept getting changed while they were filming. 
Ba- well, like, <laughs> it basically, it seemed like that this demon had been trying to get this girl June and this vase in this haunted house. Like, it needed all three of those things mm-hmm. in order to be set free, even though he was clearly already possessing people. So yeah. I don't really know what being set free would entail. But so he'd been trying all these years to get these three things in together at the same time. Yeah, and it looks... And he did it in the most roundabout way that I could possibly think of. It looks like, at, at one point, there's like a flashback where this girl, June, she uh, is in the house with some man. Don't know who the hell he <laughs> is, but he, you know she's a little girl who, by the way, the little girl doesn't resemble her at all, so until this man actually said her name, I'm sitting there like, who the fuck is this man? Yeah, I was wondering that too, because like... The little girl is blonde, where June has dark black hair. Yeah. And she's like a chubby little girl, where June is not chubby at all. And she looks like this is a little like a little blonde white girl. And June looked like maybe she, maybe she had some, you know, European descent, or like uh, like kind of Eastern European descent. You know, kind of olive skin, dark hair. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I was the same way. I was like, who? Why do they keep showing this girl? Yeah. And it never explained that either. It's like, what is she doing in the house? And how come this isn't referenced in the rest of the movie? Um, it's uh, one thing. It was a weird, just a really strange cons- uh, contrast of. Uh, I don't want to say good acting necessarily, but decent acting and really bad acting. <laughs> Particularly June, she was terrible. Yeah, um, I. Don't know. I mean, like, I don't know if uh, Joe Rafa was banging her or what, <laughs> but I don't know what he was thinking. Um, it had some good production value, I think. It was shot really well. Uh, it didn't look like kind of a, a low-budget B-movie, you know? Yeah. Um, and I guess maybe that's what kind of drew me to it, too. It's like, you know, I'm watching the trailer, and aside from... You know, me foolishly thinking that Corey Feldman would give it a little bit of gas, but <laughs> his role is so unnecessary too. It totally is, and you know, he one thing you notice he had top billing in the credits, <laughs> and he is in the movie less than anyone. <laughs> yeah, he, like you, you total up the sum of the, his on-screen time, it's like probably ten minutes. Yeah, if in, that. in an hour and a half movie. Um. Uh. And I noticed, like, the at the very beginning when the girl, Kelly, gets killed, or whatever the hell happens to her, there's, like, this monster. He's, like, all white, head to toe, black eyes. Yeah. But that's, like, the only time you see him. Well, no, that's not true. They actually show it later in the movie. But it never explains exactly who it is. Right, like, if that was the demon that was possessing people, then why... Do you not see him possess other people? Yeah. And what did you? He looked to me like the Greendale human being <laughs> from Community. <laughs> yes, for sure. Um, you know, I, I, as far as like the story being just really, like, just unfocused, hard to follow, and just confusing as shit. All right, good. I'm glad I'm not the only one. Yeah, and I mean. I, I was worried you were going to come in and be like, this movie was so good. 
Um, like, like I said, some positives about it is it had decent production value. Um, it didn't. It wasn't shot poorly at all. Um, conceptually, a haunted house. If you're gonna have like a possession movie, a haunted house is a good place to put it. I think. Yeah. Because I mean, what's more terrifying than my favorite part of the whole movie is the scene where um, one of the guys from the TV show, it, they the actors in the haunted house are all possessed, mm-hmm. and they have him like they're holding his head down on a table, and they have a meat cleaver, and he's screaming, "This is real! This is real! Help me!" Mm-hmm. You know, because there's customers walking through the haunted house. Yeah, and that that was another thing. There's, there's still people going through the haunted house. They, they just thought it was part of the show. And yeah, he actually, yeah, yeah. Got his head cut off. But it just made me think, like, I was going to make a haunted house. That would be so perfect to just have the actors yell, this is real, this is real. Yeah. <laughs> it kind of reminds me a little bit when I, when I was talking about uh, Nightmare at Beaver Lake. We were stuck in that roundabout room, and you had the little girl mm-hmm. saying, we're, you know, we're, we don't know where to go. Can, can we follow you? We sure if they were part of the show. Yeah. So, yeah, kind of a, you know, obviously that's a little more extreme example. But, um, so, yeah, and, like, one thing I would have liked to see, I mean, well, one of many things I would have liked to see from this was, you know, you have these possessions taking place in the haunted house, and, you know, obviously, a lot of these actors are carrying weapons, but they're all fake weapons, mm-hmm. for the most part. I would have liked to see them, like, when they become possessed, like, they become real uh, yeah, that could be weapons. Um, there's actually a point near the beginning of the movie where uh, one of the actors gets um, one of the actors in the house gets yelled at by the owner because he wanted to use a real knife yeah well he was using a real knife Hmm. Um, and yeah he's like I told you before we can't use real knives he's like you know I'm looking for he said he was a method actor right and he said yeah well you know I'm trying to avoid a lawsuit here Um, I mean obviously the meat cleaver must have been real yeah and I think it may have been the same character oh, was using it? it. So obviously he didn't listen. <laughs> um, they said he was fired at one point, though. That's true. But a lack of continuity would not be the worst thing in this movie. No, no, not at all. Maybe, you know, lack of continuity may have helped a little bit. <laughs> um, but uh, one thing that drives me nuts, and you know, for those of you that listen regularly... You know that I'm a big makeup buff. Uh, I mean, that's that's one of my passions is special effects makeup. And something that just drove me nuts is the fact that the makeup in this movie was completely uninspired. Uh, like, I just felt like when I was looking at this makeup, I mean, particularly in the haunted house, but also at one point there's kind of a like like a zombie. Like the original, the girl that originally gets killed in the beginning comes back as a zombie. Yeah, there you go. For all intents and purposes, a zombie comes back, and <laughs> that opening scene. Like I'm watching it. She's on the table. She got like you know the autopsy scar across her chest, mm-hmm. and you can clearly see her eyes twitching, and you can see that she's breathing. <laughs> but then all of a sudden she wakes up, so it makes sense. Right. But it's like the whole. Opening scene, you think she's dead, but you can clearly see that she's not. <laughs> and the thing was, it's like most of it. There's one part where a doctor comes in and walks out, but most of it is a still scene. Mm-hmm. So they could have just taken a picture of her, and shown that, yeah, and it would have been still. But she was alive the whole time, apparently. So whatever. Yeah, and you know, at the end of that, 
I, I think it's kind of running behind the opening credits. Um, you know, she's laying there, presumably dead. And then at the very end, you see her kind of, you know, wake up, essentially. She takes, right. like, a deep breath. Um, and, you know, you think that she's going to have a more integral role in the movie. No, she shows up about, I'd say, about five-sixths of the way through the movie. And she's in it again for... Two minutes? Yeah, maybe. I was going to say more like 30 seconds, but... um, And and that that whole scene didn't even need to happen, really. No, not at all. Uh, I mean, the opening scene, it kind of established this girl, June, as a clairvoyant. Um, But really, that was kind of the only purpose of it. Didn't make any sense. Um, Also... The sex scene. Can we talk about the sex scene for a second? <laughs> sure. <laughs> Between Chris and June. Mm-hmm. The most uninterested I've ever seen someone. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, you know, I mean, that had to have been the point. Because uh, this guy, he was, he was like the dickhead. Who was also played by uh, Joe Rafa, the director. Was the kind of the, the, the dick. <laughs> well, the scene I'm talking about had the guy Chris, though. that looked like a young Ethan Embry. Oh, anyway, um, another thing, like, uh, I meant to mention this with the makeup, is, like, the a lot of the blood, it looked like they used, like, different kinds of fake blood, and a lot of it looked really bad. The the thing about, in B-movies, the blood is always bright red. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. And real blood is not bright red. It's kind of a purplish, crimson color. Yeah, I think... The best recipe I know for fake blood, and I know this is kind of taboo, a lot of special effects artists won't reveal their recipe for blood, but the best recipe I've ever seen and tested out is just corn syrup, red dye, and chocolate syrup. I remember hearing, um, I don't remember if it was Tom Savini that said it, but on the set of Night of the Living Dead, they used... Bosco chocolate syrup. Right. And they had, like, ham for, uh-huh. um, like, body parts. And so the actors were talking about having to eat chocolate-covered ham, <laughs> which I, doesn't sound... That sounds delicious to me. I don't know what they were complaining about. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, chocolate-covered bacon is obviously good. It's good. I've had it. <laughs> um, but, yeah, this, this fake blood, it, it reminded me a lot of uh, things you might see in, like, the old 70s... Uh, like Jalo movies. Yeah. Like, you know, very Italian, just kind of bright, almost pastel looking. And it was just really inappropriate. Not very thick either. It was very watery. Right. And that, that's what made me think. It's like, what are they just using, like, paint or something? <laughs> um, but anyway, yeah, that was just very poorly done. Um, and, you know, the end of the movie... When the character starts doing his monologue where he's looking directly into the, the screen and he just starts talking about how they, they're going to spread fear forever. And I was like, that's all they want. They just, they just want people to be afraid. Like, they don't want to kill people or anything. They just, they just want people to fear. Yeah. And then he goes on this huge monologue about fear and I'm just like, this is so preachy and stupid. <laughs> and, uh, 
you know, so, so something that I thought should have been more of uh, so well, someone I should thought should have more presence in the movie was um, this this older lady who she basically you know, she was a clairvoyant like June. Um, Mary Wilkins was the character's name. Mm, okay, uh, and she basically collected all this the stuff that was like possessed. Or yeah, she basically just collected evil. Right. That was her collection. Yeah, and she just kind of voluntarily sold a lot of this shit off to, was it Joe? Jack. Jack, uh, the owner of the haunted house. Uh, she just, you know, she say, she brings them into the house to look at her stuff and tells them not to touch anything because they're evil, they spread evil, they're essentially infectious. And... For whatever reason, she sells these things to Jack. Yeah. <laughs> um, particularly this figure, uh, it looked like just kind of like a, a body shape shrouded in a cloak and maybe like, had like a, like a cow skull for a head. Yeah. Um, yeah, it wasn't like an actual cow skull, but it was like, it had like the shape of a cow skull. It almost looked like it could have been the skull of the creature from Night of the Demons. <laughs> Uncle Deadly. Uncle Deadly, yeah. <laughs> like, like that was his skull. Uh, but there's this draw to it. Like, they wouldn't show it. Like, you know, it was always, like every scene that involved it, well, except for the, the final scene that it was in, it was always shot from the perspective of this figure. Yeah. Like, out on the people observing it. So you don't know what it looks like. It's just described as being used in a lot of satanic rituals, and that it has like children's, like actual children's blood on it. Mm-hmm. And then you actually see it, and it's really underwhelming. Yeah, it was like they tried <laughs> to like build up the anticipation for it, but then there's there's not this big grand reveal. And even if there was, just the look of it is like you said, underwhelming. Yeah. And there was this real draw to it from from the demon, uh, or you know this this evil entity that was possessing everyone. Um, there was a certain point where it forces June to touch it, and up until that point, there was absolutely no connection between this figure and the rest of the story. But apparently, suddenly, it was part of everything. <laughs> Yeah, and I, I still don't know what her touching it accomplished. Me neither. It, it didn't seem to accomplish anything. I mean, it, well, it, if I remember right, it created like some kind of flashback or something, didn't it? I don't remember now. Yeah. It doesn't fucking matter. This movie is such a joke, and the biggest joke of all is... I almost feel like they, they did it to kind of give everyone a laugh. Um, they set up the ending like it's going to be a sequel. Yeah. Or the, the, like there's going to be a sequel. Uh, seven degrees of hell. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it sets up like like Corey Feldman's character might have a more prominent role in the sequel, but which is what we all want, right? It, and up, up until that point, he was not even a narrator. It was like he was he was like he was the wedding guest in *Rhyme of the Ancient Mariner*. <laughs> 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 um. For those of you not familiar with that story, 
he's basically the person sitting there listening to the narrator. Right. Um, like I said, his whole role was just unnecessary. Yeah. And so it sets up the ending like there's going to be a sequel, but you're just kind of left sitting there like, why? Why would they even joke about this? Um, there, there's just nothing to make a sequel for. And the ending is completely, like, they don't wrap anything up. Oh, no, not at all. Like, yeah, I mean, not even hints at what may have happened. It's completely left open. It, it really feels like they just stopped the movie. Yeah. And, like, there was supposed to be another half hour, and they just went, nope, 90 minutes, we're good. <laughs> and, I mean, it really looks like they just were really banking on the fact that they were going to make a sequel. And then there's, like, over the credits, there's another scene which does nothing. Yeah. Like, the credits came that. up, and I was like, okay, I guess it's over. And then, like, this other scene came up, and I was like, oh, now they're going to explain. Nope, explain nothing. Yeah, it lasted all of about 30 seconds. And then you think, like, maybe it's going to be, like, several small scenes kind of interspersed throughout the credits. But no, no that was the only one. Yep. I, I even watched to the end of this, the credits to see if there, maybe there was something at the end. No. Um, I mean, that would be a really bold move for... Uh, an independent movie that nobody's ever heard of to put something after the credits to think that people are actually stick around that long. Yeah, you they were lucky if people stayed for the whole movie. Yeah. And this movie came out in 2012, so, you know, last year at some point. And in that time, there is, like he said, the most of information available is on IMDb. Uh, apparently the entire film is there on IMDb. But, like, as far as a plot, um, characters, uh, you know, any kind of synopsis or, you know, production notes or anything like that, most in-depth information is available on IMDb. No Wikipedia page, no website. Uh, and this didn't tell you anything? Yeah. Well, I, I, I found this after I'd watched the movie. Um, and so, I don't know. I, I just, I don't, I don't know what else to say about this movie. I, I, I other than you I, should say I'm sorry for making me watch it. Yeah, I, I really apologize for this. Um, next time I take a chance on a unknown movie, I'm, I'm going to try and vet it a little more <laughs> before I actually commit to it. Uh, so, yeah, that's that's it. Ugh, fuck. Okay, what do you rate this one? Um, as like I said before, it, I it's hard for me to make to think of a perfect movie. At the same time, it's hard for me to think of a movie that's absolutely nothing redeeming. But this one, I think, takes it. So I'm gonna give it a one. Yep, yeah, I'm pretty much on board with you there. I can't think of a worse way to make this movie. It was, like I said, like the, the biggest thing was that it couldn't keep me attached to it because the plot jumped around to two different groups of characters. They had very little to do with each other until just like suddenly they're in the same scenes together. And it's like, how can I watch a movie that does that? How, how can I, how can it hold my interest because I'm so fucking confused? So, like you, 
I give this movie a one. I'd give it a zero if I could. All right. So, moving on to my pick, which was the latest from Rob Zombie, The Lords of Salem. You have to understand that there is a war waging in heaven. The curse of the Lords of Salem. Possessing the souls of the Salem women. Is everything all right? No. So this movie is about a, um, it starts out with a coven of witches from uh, the time of the Salem Witch Trials, and uh, these are not the witches that you have heard about. Mm-hmm. Um, but then it, it jumps to modern day Salem, and this group of DJs, um, the main one who is played by Sherry Moon Zombie, who you may have seen in other Rob Zombie movies. And she has little bit roles every once in a while. Oh yeah, you know. Just, you don't wanna you don't wanna put her you know, right in your face, but you know. Sure. <laughs> um yeah, she plays this DJ along with Ken Forey, who is best known as Peter from Dawn of the Dead. But they get this record from nowhere. And uh, it's by a band called the Lords of Salem, or just the Lords, but they kind of add of Salem. Right. And they play it, and it's just this horrible, horrible noise, but it apparently awakens something in the women of Salem, and it brings this coven back to life. Essentially. Right. right. I couldn't really tell if, if it actually brought the coven back, I guess... At the end, it does. But right off the bat, that opening scene uh-huh. is just tons of gratuitous nudity, but not the kind you want. Yeah. <laughs> We've got the kind of uh, head witch in this coven, who's an old lady. Um, I can't remember her name, but she was, was actually like Mary Margaret. No, is, is Meg... Meg? Margaret? Meg something. Uh, Meg Foster is the actress. Margaret Morgan is the, the character's name. Okay. So, yeah, Meg Foster, who actually... She was actually a... Um, I, I would say she was a really popular actress in the 80s, but she's actually fairly well-known. Um, and she didn't actually look all that bad in the 80s. But now she's got some years on her, and she was not shy... <laughs> About doing a lot of nudity, and it was way too much. Yeah. I never, like, I think once I saw The Shining for the first time, I realized that I never wanted to see a naked old lady again. <laughs> and this one has several. Yeah. Uh, 
I just remember watching it, and at several points, I'm just like, God, I really hope she doesn't get naked again. <laughs> and, you know, it has one one minute where uh, Sherry Moon's on me is naked for 30 seconds or so. Yeah. It's like, okay, well, maybe this won't be all bad. She shows her ass in every movie, though. Yeah. Um, but then, yeah, that, that was pretty much it. And the rest of it was just old ladies. Yeah. Um, but so, Sherry Moon Zombie plays Heidi. Um, and she, like I said, she's a radio DJ and she hosts a sh- show with, uh, this guy Whitey and then, um, Ken Forey's character, Herman. And the guy, Whitey, is one of those DJs that does all the sound effects. Okay. And I just wanted to reach through the screen and punch him. Yeah. Because it was like every time somebody said a sentence, he had some kind of little sound effect that he had to play. Yeah. And, like, I, I'm sure the point was that he was supposed to be annoying, but he was driving me nuts. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, I think his, uh Mark Marin does a, a bit about that. It's like the typical radio crew. You know, you've got the, the main host, some guy whose name is some kind of animal. <laughs> it's just the guy that sits there and laughs like ah, ha, ha, ha. and then you've got the girl who's always just like oh you guys stop it <laughs> yeah this pretty much fits that yeah <laughs> and I think that's pretty much every morning radio crew like on the planet yeah but uh, there's I don't know this movie was kind of confusing I think not as confusing as Six Degrees of Hell mind you but I don't know. I had trouble following it at certain points. Um, I disagree, at least for the first two-thirds of the movie. The ending we'll get to. Right. But um, <laughs> it it did seem like there was kind of two or three different storylines going at once. Like there was a thing with her apartment. There was the apartment down the hall was, I don't know, some kind of lair or something. Something, yeah. And, uh, the part where she goes in there and, like, she, there's the cross on the wall, mm-hmm. and she's holding her hands against the cross, and the monster comes up behind her. Yeah. The, like, they never show the monster, but he looks like a combination of Sasquatch and the Grinch. <laughs> he's got, like, the long Grinch fingers, but he's, like, big and hunched over like Sasquatch, so I don't know. Mm. So there's that, and then there's the, the thing with the coven, and they never really explain, like, why when the women hear, they just kind of, like, wake up, essentially. Um, and then, at the end, like I said, we'll get to that. But, there's just, like, kind of random flashbacks, and, like, there's some really just weird, fucked up scenes, but every time, she wakes up and it's a dream. Yeah. So it's like, it does it two or three times, and so then another scene comes up, and you're like, well, this is a dream. Mm-hmm. And then it is. So it gets a little predictable, as far as that goes, at parts. Yeah, I mean, there there's kind of elements of of these scenes that become very predictable. Where it's like part of it, part of the reason that you like know it's not real. It's like, well, okay, you you can't just end the movie here. So obviously, this isn't actually happening. Yeah. <laughs> um, but this, I mean, this had this, you know a Rob Zombie movie. It obviously had that. Rob Zombie flair to it. Like, I mean, you think about House of a Thousand Corpses and Devil's Rejects and even uh, the Halloween movies. 
they've always got, they just got that really kind of gritty kind of it's got a feel to it that makes you feel like you need to take a shower yeah like it just feels really dirty and you know makes you feel like you might be sweaty or something i i thought this movie had a lot more of a creep creepy factor than some of his old ones mhm there's a couple scenes where like something would happen almost off screen where you may not even notice it. Uh-huh. And it just kind of seems... Like, if you don't notice it, it just seems like the scene's going on for too long. Yeah. But when you notice it, it kind of sends a chill down your spine. Yeah. Like, there's a scene where she walks into her apartment, and just, like, all of a sudden, the light at the end of the hall just kind of swings back and forth. Mm-hmm. It's just real subtle stuff that I, I don't think I've really seen from Zombie before. No, and that stuff like that, um, and just, like, really inconsequential things uh, made me think uh, like watching this movie I really had just that feeling and energy of The Shining yeah yeah definitely um, I mean just the the long hallway shots mm-hmm. and even like the wallpaper in the hallway just kind of give you that, that dark kind of almost grimy feeling that you get at certain points during The Shining um, and yeah, I can agree with you on that that creep factor. Um, I will say if if you are like if you have a decent faith, do not watch this movie. No, because it is very offensive to Jesus Christ in specific name. Yeah, and uh, the witches are you know Satan worshippers, and they they pray to him and you know call him their Lord and Savior. Mm-hmm. And they kind of blaspheme and condemn Jesus and Mary both. Yep. Um, and, yeah, incredibly offensive. Um, almost, actually, probably just as bad as maybe, like, The Exorcist, as far as just uh, kind of um, anti-Christian yeah, themes and, uh, and occurrences. Um, kind of a, another kind of plot point of the movie is uh, there is a I guess he's just an author who actually wrote a book about um, Butch Charles and he's kind of familiarized himself and you know when he here like he's actually on the radio show interview being interviewed about his new book um, and when they play this album or this record by the lords by the lords uh and he hears the name Lords of Salem, that kind of rings a bell with him. And so he goes and researches and finds out that there's actually this um, min- or, you know, a, a minister or you know, a man of, man of God who burned these witches because they discovered, or he discovered that they were, these witches were creating music to possess the women of Salem. Uh, and so that's why they were ultimately burned. And this head witch cursed the women of Salem down the line and also cursed his family line in particular as being the, uh, the carrier of the son of Satan. And so that kind of becomes important. And I don't see, see that really as a spoiler because it's kind of like a main plot point. <laughs> the part where she gets impregnated, though, is interesting. Yeah. The, the three witches <laughs> uh, take 
Heidi down the hall into the, the weird apartment at the end. And she walks in and it all of a sudden turns into this huge, posh mansion. Mm-hmm. And there's this creature that I guess it was Satan who looks like a midget with chicken wings for, for <laughs> arms. And he just kind of like shoots these umbilical cords out of his hands and she grabs them and they both shake and that's it. Yeah, it looks like she's being re, you know, electrocuted by, I thought, I, I, when I first was looking at it, I could have sworn these tentacle things or umbilical cords, as you call them. I could have sworn they had like these big dickheads on them. It's possible. Uh, like, when I was, I looked at it a little better and I don't think it did, but at first view, at first sight, I could have sworn they did. But... I mean, it's possible because there's that scene at the end where all the guys are jacking off. Right. Which, we'll right. get there. <laughs> um, and, you know, uh, it had a lot of, this being a Rob Zombie movie, it had a lot of the same kind of tones and, uh, uh, kind of this, a lot of same feeling to it as a lot of his movies do, as I kind of stated before. Mm-hmm. Um, even down to like cast members. I mean, you've got sharing with Zombie, obviously. Um, and, Ken uh, Forey, who was in Halloween. Ken Forey. And was also in Devil's Rejects. Yeah. Um, and also, uh, Sid Haig and Michael Berryman were in it. Very, very small parts. I don't think they actually had any speaking. Right. I noticed Sid Haig. I didn't notice Michael Berryman. I know, I saw that he was in it, but I didn't notice him. Yeah. While they, watching it. They were in the same scene. It was very short. Uh, which yeah. that scene was brutal. It was like it wasn't gory, but it was it was a scene where they were burning all the witches, and you could see just their face charring mm-hmm. and just like starting to bubble, and, and it was it was yeah well, yeah you could see like their hair starting to singe. I mean, if you're like actually watched hair burn, it kind of shrinks up mm-hmm. uh, and kind of disintegrates almost, kind of like uh, if you burn plastic, uh, kind of like the same action. It just shrinks up and. Uh, you know, you could you could see their hair starting to burn, and like you said, their skin just starting to boil and bubble and start to melt, essentially. So yeah, that was I, I agree with you. That was pretty brutal. Um, what did what did you think of the? I don't know if I can really necessarily call it the scripting, but maybe just the acting in certain parts, or like as a whole. What I guess what did you think? Um, I thought for the most part it was good. Um, the, the three witches kind of reminded me of Hocus Pocus. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, but I can't really put my finger on why. I don't know if it's just like, cause they're three witches and, cause well, I mean, they don't really resemble them and they don't really interact the same way, but just something about them just kept making me think of Hocus Pocus. Yeah. Well, I, I think it's probably cause, you know, we had one that was obviously the, Kind of the clear leader mm-hmm. of, of these of this trio. You had one that was kind of like um, I don't know. You might consider her the, like the wild child. I guess she was kind of like you know very sexual almost. Um, uh, and then yeah, you had one who was supposed to like hocus pocus, where there's one who's just really dopey and bumbling. She wasn't that, but she kind of played into that that. Area of the, the trio, I guess. So I, I, I can see 
your um, why you compare it in your head, um, but also just you know a trio, which is like you, you gotta kind of automatically go there, right? Um, yeah, I, I thought. I mean, these are all. I mean, with the exception of maybe um, Sherry Moon Zombie, who has her had her share of you know movie roles at this point, but. Most of these people are all really seasoned actors. I mean, going back, you know, to the 70s even. Um, but because of that fact, it doesn't necessarily make me think that there are bad points of acting. It's me, bad points of scripting. It's like one thing that really stood out to me, it was just like kind of like this, it was almost like cheesy sitcom scripting where uh, Ken Forey is getting in his car and he says, I gotta get home, I don't wanna get a DWS. <laughs> and Whitey says, Don't you mean a DWI? He says, No, a DWS, driving my sexy. And I was just really expecting to hear a laugh track in the background. Um, yeah, that was a really corny line. Yeah. But I think that was kind of the character too, is he was supposed to be this kind of like funky, you know, kind of stuck in the seventies kind of guy. Yeah, I suppose. And you know, the the character kind of uh Get that he is is bald because um, they talk about him wearing a toupee. Yeah, Heidi and Whitey are both talking about like you got to talk to him, get him to take that fucking thing off. It looks ridiculous. Um, so you, yeah, you just got to assume that he's bald and just trying to cover it up. But yeah, um, and then uh, getting to the end of this movie, the the lords are coming to Salem for a concert. Mm-hmm. And the, the three DJs get tickets, but Heidi's the only one that gets in. And then the entire movie just falls apart. Mm, yeah. Yeah. Uh, there's it, just like, there's, it, it all of a sudden turned into a white zombie video. Yeah. Like there's these random scene changes where they're in the theater and then all of a sudden they're somewhere else. I don't even know where. They're just in like this huge room. And Heidi's sitting on her bed, which is in this room, and there's these naked people with bags on their head walking towards her. Yeah. And then next thing you know, she's in a forest. And there's absolutely no explanation of how these transitions happened. Yeah, it's like you make you think, is she having some kind of fucked up acid trip or something? Um, it, you know, another movie, I, I you know, compared it to The Shining... But um, another movie that I got a lot of, just the, kind of the weird imagery and the music, um, another movie that I th- instantly thought of was uh, Clockwork Orange. Oh, yeah. I got a very Rosemary's Baby feel from it at a lot of times, too. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I hadn't thought of that. Um, but, yeah, you're right. This ending, it just takes a left turn. It really feels like, like they got... To the scene in the theater, and Zombie went, Well, I don't know what to do from here. Yeah, it's kind of like he hit this point where he's like, All right, guys, let's let's wrap it up. Yeah, <laughs> just just throw a bunch of shit out there. Yeah. Yeah, it was like Zombie went, I don't know what to do. Fuck it. Just, <laughs> uh, just throw a bunch of fucked up shit about, you know, faceless guys jacking off. Yeah, and I mean, like, as a whole, this movie stayed pretty solid as far as consistency you know fairly easy plot to follow but then it gets to a point 
uh, particularly this ending, where you just kind of have to sit back and say, what, what the hell just happened? I mean, we're, we're, where am I now? It, it doesn't match the flow of the movie. It doesn't match aesthetically with the rest of the movie. It, it's, it just really just takes a left turn. Yeah, and I, 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 I don't know where... I, I, honestly, I mean, all joking aside, I don't know what Zombie was thinking with this ending. I mean, obviously, he he wanted to get to a certain point. Like, he wanted to establish a, an ending with a certain resolution. But it's like he didn't know how to get from here to there. Right, exactly. Um, so, like you said, he basically turned it into a white zombie video and threw a bunch of just weird, fucked-up imagery. And it, it just it just wasn't cohesive. It, it, it didn't like make there, sense Like, there's, there's literally a part... Where there's just three pictures of Jesus on the screen and then they melt. Right. Like that, that is an image from the movie. It looks like a Monty Python segue. <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, so I, it's just overall, this was a decent movie. I, I don't think by any means this was Zombie's best work. I mean, I still gotta reserve that for, I, you know, I guess House of a Thousand Corpses. Um, but this is better than Halloween 2. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I think if the entire movie had fit the same aesthetic as the same, I'm going to say two-thirds of, of that, you know, that creepy factor that we talked about, I, I think I would be talking about this movie as a 7 or an 8. Mm-hmm. But as it is with that extremely bizarre ending that doesn't fit the rest of the movie... I think I'm going to put it at a five. Um, you know, again, I'm, I'm definitely with you. Uh, this week it's kind of funny that we didn't watch the movies together. We didn't discuss them at all. And yet we're both kind of on the same page with both of them. And it just, it, uh, everything that was building up to kind of fell apart at the end. Um, and when something like that happens, it, it really kind of, it, it spoils the whole movie because you're waiting for an ending to tie everything up. Um, or not, you know, or like maybe, like at least set it up to say, you know, okay, well maybe in a sequel, We'll start to explain a little more. This story can continue. I don't know how they could explain this. No. Yeah, and I'm not saying this is one of those movies. Okay. But it didn't have a solid ending to where you could say, oh, okay, that's that's what's going on. You're just still just sitting here thinking, okay, I, did I miss something? Do I need yeah, to go back like, and watch this like again? Like the very, very ending, you're like, okay, I get it. I understand what just happened. But I don't understand how we got to this point. Right. And, like you said, at the beginning, it's fine. It, it seems just like a standard, you know, standard plot points, you know, just a continuing story. It's really, it's really when the weird stuff starts to happen, you know, with the witches and the, you know, demons or monsters, whatever they are, and just, just, just strange dreams she's having and things like that. 
that's when the movie starts to come apart because sure, but even those parts like they're they're weird, but they're still in the context of the movie. Yeah, like you you can go well that was weird, but I feel like that's going to get explained. Whereas the last third of the movie, there's no explaining what happens. Right, and yeah, and like I said, you kind of. You need a kind of an end cap on things to hold all the pieces together, and this one just just didn't have it. Movies are very much what have you done for me lately? People are going to remember the ending, uh-huh. and a good ending can break and to a lesser extent make a movie. Yeah, like a bad movie with a good ending can. I mean, depending on how bad the beginning of the movie is, but if you're watching a decent movie and then it has a really good ending, that's what you're going to talk about. You're going to tell people about that ending. Mm-hmm. And same thing, if a movie is good, but then it has this terrible ending, that's what you're going to tell people. They're going to be like, I really liked it, but the, the ending ruined it. Yeah. Like, how many times have you heard the phrase, the ending ruined it? Too many. Um, so, yeah, all that being said, I think I have to agree with you again, and i got to put this movie at a, at a five. So, double agreements on this one. Yeah, two fives, two ones. That's so, it. two... Not, well, one terrible movie, one, I guess, average movie. Nothing really stood out, I guess. Um, yeah. Lords of Salem had, it had good visuals. Yeah, I mean, like, definitely in comparison to Six Degrees of Hell. And, you know, to a certain extent, they were kind of, subject-wise, they were a little similar. Sort of, yeah. Um, but, it just, it... Yeah, you got one movie that obviously didn't make any sense whatsoever, and then one that kind of came apart at the end. And it's just disappointing to see both of that. Or, I do like, though, that this week we did um, two original movies. Yeah. Because up until now, we had done five out of seven of our reviews had been remakes. <laughs> I guess I hadn't made that connection. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so I think we are going to try and continue the steam a little bit, you know, try and stay away from uh, from remakes and maybe try to stay away from sequels um, for, you know, for a little bit. I mean, it'll come up again, but we're going to try and stick with the originals for a little while. Definitely. You bunch of losers! You're working with a professional here! Nice fucking models! All right, another week. Another episode. Thanks for tuning in yet again. Yeah. Um, yeah, we're, we're recording this one a little early in the week, uh, so we're kind of pressed for time a little bit, going on a, a weekend road trip with the with the women. So recording this in the middle of the week rather than a weekend, so didn't have as much time as we'd like, so we kept it a little short. Hopefully news doesn't change between now and when this airs. Hopefully not. Uh, maybe we'll... Post a little bit of uh, an update on our blog, assuming anything does change in those days. But sure, <laughs> or you know, on Twitter, Facebook, Google Plus, all of which we are on, and you should be following us. Yes, you can find links to all those on our website at graveplotpodcast.com. No the, no the, just graveplotpodcast.com. And uh, once again, we're. Uh, Broadcasting on Stitcher Radio at stitcher.com, and you can uh, find us on iTunes, 
and then you can also just listen to us on our on our um, website if you if you like that. So uh, thanks for tuning in and uh, giving us an, another couple hours of your life. Till next time, take it easy, guys. We'll uh, talk to you in a couple weeks. Bye. In all kinds of weather, jump in the line, rock your body and time. Okay, I believe you jump in the line, rock your body and time. Okay, I believe you jump in the line, rock your body and time. Okay, I believe you jump in the line, rock your body and time. Whoop. Shake, 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 Sinora, shake your body line. Whoop. Shake, 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 Sinora, shake it all the time. Work, 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 Sinora, work your body line. Work, 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 Sinora.